Let's uh, open our Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Last time we looked at uh, this theme and uh, we're doing a series on this called Good News for a Change. Good News for a Change. And uh, last week we looked at part one really kind of defining what is, what is it we're talking about. What is the good news, right? And we see it here in Luke chapter 2 verses 10 and 11. <clears throat> but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. You know, we need some good news for a change, don't we? And really, that's what it's really all about. He says good news of great joy, and it's, it's real, what is it about? It's about a Savior. A Savior came because we need a saving. The sooner we realize that we're in bad shape, we need saving, that's, that's when we can, can come to Jesus the Savior. It's a message of victory as as they defined the term back in that day. It's a, a message that, uh, that people would bring in times of victory. And it certainly is a, a victory for you and I that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose from the dead. And, and Paul said he wasn't ashamed of the good news of the gospel, of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the fact that it was the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. He's not ashamed of this good news. And I think you and I need to let people know more about it. The last part of this series is going to be about letting other people know or proclaiming the good news, being good newsers uh, in a sense. So <clears throat> I'm in trouble with my ear here. They get plugged up uh, for some reason. And then all I can hear is myself. That's bad. <laughs> so... Um, Good news for a change. There's a little twist in that title that I just want to point out here is that good news for a change, and the change happens to you and me. That good news isn't just good news we hear about, but it's good news that changes us. And it changed me. Uh, back in 1976, I heard the good news, and, and, you know, I gave Jesus a chance in my life, and then I found out that he was giving me a chance, and he changed my life. And he's still changing me after all these years. He's still changing me, and he's still working in me. I was, I, was, I was going through some things with him this morning, like talking to him. Him and I, like, well, what, what you know, and I'm saying, well, I, you know, this is how I see it. And, like, and then I realized that, that I was kind of telling him the way it should be. Have you, you ever, ever done that? Lord, this is, but this is, and he says, no, wait, 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 hold it. He's God. We're not God. Mm-hmm. Be still and know that he is God. We saw that in Psalm 46. It's the good news that changes us, that Jesus the Savior came and changed us. Now today, I want to look in part two, I want to look at uh, the good news that was promised. And, and it was promised a long, long, long time ago. It was predicted, and we call it prophecy. That this book we have here in front of us, it's full of prophecy. In fact, some people believe it's from one, one quarter to one third prophecy, a prediction of things that would occur in the future. And you say, well, the good news was promised. And, and we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where he says, you know, that, that Christ died for our sins according to the 
scriptures, that he rose from the dead according to the scriptures and others it was promised before and these things and say, well, why is that important? What is that? Why would you make a message about that? What's the big deal? Well, it's a very big deal. I want you to know. It's a very big deal. And the, the biggest reason is because we can trust this book. We can trust the Bible. It's unlike any other book. There is no comparison. There's no book that's like this. And, and because of that, and in addition to that, is we can trust the God of the Bible. There's no God like Him. There's a no God that knows the, the beginning to the end. There's no God that knows the past and the future. There's no one like Him. There's no one compared to Him in any way, shape, or form. And that Jesus is the answer. This one that the Father sent. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, or excuse me, Romans chapter 1, verse 1, if you will. You see, it was important to Paul the Apostle too, this idea that it was prophetic, that it was promised beforehand. Why? Because God keeps his promises. Look at Romans chapter 1. He starts off with this in his letter, and this this book of Romans is a a pretty doctrinal statement about the the truths of the faith. And he starts right off in the beginning. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel. Remember, that's the good news, that same word that's translated both ways. The gospel he promised beforehand. See that? He promised it beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and through and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, this has all been a part of the plan of God from the beginning. In fact, some people, they call it the scarlet thread of redemption, that from the very beginning of the scripture all the way through the Bible, you see and you can, you can trace the gospel or the good news. You can trace it all the way from the beginning all the way to the very end. The scarlet thread of redemption. I think they call it scarlet because ultimately it has to do with that Jesus shed his blood for us. That he gave his life for us. Say, why do you say that? Well, first of all, in fact, let's kind of go back. Let's go back to the book of Genesis, shall we? Genesis, the book of Genesis, again, now written some 1,400 years, okay? 1,400 years before Christ came. 1,400 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. And I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Now, can anybody tell me what Genesis chapter 3 is all about? Says it in your, on, you know, on the top of your margin, uh, on the top of your paragraphs. There, I mean, it's about the fall of man, right? God didn't create it this way. You know that already. When God created, He said He saw it was good, it was beautiful, it was wonderful. But something changed, right? Something happened. It was we call it the fall of man when when Satan Satan was there and he he tempted Eve and, and Adam and Eve they fell in that garden. You say, well, you know, that's horrible. And it is horrible. And we, we're, we're seeing it. We're seeing the, the curse upon the earth. We see it now, even today. But you know what? Even back then, God had a promise 
and I want you to see it there in verse 15, we call it, I didn't make this up, they call it, the scholars and the theologians, they call it the proto-evangelium. Can you say that? See, it's not that hard. But that word evangelium, guess what word that is? Well, evangelism is kind of a, one translation of it. Somebody else? Good news. That's exactly what it is. You see, good news gospel, I haven't been giving you the Greek word, but it's evangel or evangelium or evangelios. It's, it's all a form of that word of evangel. Because angel is in the word, and it's a message, right? An angel is a messenger, right? And a gospel, a good news is a message, and it's a good message, you see. So all that to say, this is the proto-evangelium. In other words, it's the very first good news. The first gospel, they call it. Found here in the middle of what is really the worst thing that could have ever happened to man. Right? The fall of man. This is the worst thing that ever could have happened to us. How did it get this way? Read Genesis 3. Because you read Genesis 1 and 2, it's not like that. Not like that. But look at verse 15. This is the Lord speaking, and he says... He says this, he's speaking to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. I don't know if you can see it in there, but you see, Satan gets his head crushed. Jesus gets his heel stricken. In other words, the cross is right there. That's what, that's what we see in there, the cross. We see the ultimate defeat of Satan. The enemy is going to be defeated. You read back to now the book of Revelation, you see that he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever. I kind of wish that would happen like now. But, but all in God's time, you see. But, but the thing is, even in the very beginning, God had a plan. He had a purpose that he was going to send his son Jesus for you and for me. That's what we're talking about when we say good news of great joy, this proto-evangelium. And how many years before Christ came was it? Like 1,400 years it was written down for you and for me. How about uh, Genesis 12? Turn ahead to Genesis 12. Genesis 12 and verse 3, the Lord is speaking to Abram who is also known later as Abraham. And in verse 3, he, it's part of the promise that he gives to Abraham or Abram. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And what? All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now who is he talking about there? Is he talking about Abram? No, somebody that would come through the line of Abram, that would, that would bless the whole earth, that, that would be the answer for the whole, the whole planet. And that's none other than Jesus, right? Jesus was going to come through the line of Abram. You can kind of trace that. Again, we're, we're looking at this scarlet thread of redemption that goes like throughout the Bible. We're not even looking at a, a, a minute portion of all the scriptures, but, but starting with Abram. We, we saw it in Genesis 3, then in, in, in Abram. And then Genesis uh, chapter 49... 
it says that the scepter will not depart from, that's supposed to be the line of Judah, or just from Judah. Was Jesus in the line of Judah? Yeah, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He came through the line of Judah. You see, you see, again, God had this plan and this purpose. He knew how bad it was back in Genesis 3, but he had a purpose and a plan, and, and he promised, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you the answer. Makes me think about our own lives sometimes. You know, we think, God, you just don't know what's going on. You don't know how bad it is down here. You don't know how bad it is in my life. Well, I want to tell you, you know, that God, that God keeps his promises, and he's promised to take care of you. And he's promised to meet you and answer your prayers. Now, maybe it's not going to be in the way you want or as soon as you want. I don't know about you, but like when I was talking to him this morning, I wanted it like right now. Let's just, can we just do this? Get this happening right now. And then I had to remember, oh yeah. I have to, I have to learn patience. And God will, God's going to do it. God's going to work. God's going to answer but in his time, not in my time. How about, uh, how about the prophet Isaiah? I like the way they pronounce this in England. Isaiah. How about the prophet Isaiah? S- some 700 years before Christ came. We, we actually uh, heard it this morning already, right? Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. In verse 14, <clears throat> Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to the son and, and to a son and will call him, what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. What are we talking about here? What is he promising? What is he telling us is, 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 this is going to happen, how this is going to happen, that, that he would be born of a virgin? Well, when you read the, the fulfillment in the Gospels, what do you find? You find that Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. Why? Because God's promises are always true and will always be fulfilled. 700 years before. You can't tell me, you can't promise me something that's going to happen five minutes from now with certainty. Can you? You might have a clue. And, you, and then, you might, then you might have to, like, make it happen, right? Force it to happen, right? 700 years, he said, I'm going to send you a son. And he's going to be called Emmanuel. He's going to come through a virgin. He is also going to come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch Will bear, will bear fruit. Anybody know who Jesse is? David's father. Jesse was David's father. So, so it's kind of, you know, it's, it's through the line of Abram and then the line of Judah, right? And then through the line of David, right? It, it, all throughout the, the Old Testament, we see this, this prophecy, these, these promises that God gave. Listen, I haven't forgotten that I'm going to take care of you. I haven't forgotten that I'm going to provide this Savior, good news of great joy, David. 
Jeremiah some 16, uh, 600 years before Christ came. Jeremiah said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. David, the line of David. How about this one, Micah? Some 725 years before Christ. Let's see if you can find Micah. You know, in, uh, in the chapel over at uh, West Bay at the Christian Academy, we have what we call sword drills. You know what those are? Yes. See who can get there first. So if you find it first, go ahead and um, shout it out. Nobody's found it yet. Oh, just got it here. Micah 5.2 says this, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over, over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. I'll say, from ancient times. From eternity he came, didn't he? Not just ancient times. But notice there, he's talking about the fact that he would come from, uh, from a place called Bethlehem. And, and the scripture tells us clearly that he was born in Bethlehem. Out of Bethlehem, this small place. Some of the people said, you know, when Jesus was doing different things, like, you know, the, the, the prophets said he would come out of Bethlehem, but you're from Nazareth. Like, how could that be? Well, they, they didn't know that he was born in Bethlehem. Yeah, he lived in Nazareth. See? You understand? The thing about it is, all these things have been promised, and all of them have been fulfilled by the birth of Jesus. And they all show to us that, that, that God is faithful in keeping his promises. God is faithful. If you get anything else about this, is that God is faithful in keeping his promises. And this is, this is probably the heart of prophecy, probably uh, the most important promise that God ever gave that he would send Jesus, his son, to be the savior of the world. But it's not the only promise of the Bible, is it? The Bible is, is full of promises. Someone said this, there are no prophecies foretelling details about the birth of other religious leaders. Yet the Old Testament pinpointed numerous details about the life of the Son of God and Savior of the world. We've just looked at a few, but there are so many more, not just about his birth, but about his life, about his death, about everything about him, all the stuff surrounding his life. These prophecies that were given, hundreds of them really, but let me just uh, talk about this for a minute. What are the odds? And some of you have heard this before. How many of you heard this before? What are the odds of him fulfilling these prophecies? You know, there was an interesting book written <clears throat> called Science Speaks. And it's written by uh, two gentlemen. And I'll just tell you a little bit about them so uh, Barbara will be happy. I mean, so you'll know. If I can find it here, uh, here it is. Uh, the first gentleman is named Peter Stoner, and he uh, was a chairman of the Department of Mathematics and Astronomy back in the 50s at Pasadena City College. He was also the chairman of the Science Division at Westmont College. And the other gentleman was, uh, had a Ph.D. in astrophysics, 
astrophysics from Cornell, very important college, right? He was an associate professor of physics and mathematics at Shelton College and a couple other places. So they wrote this book about, about uh, science and, and Jesus, really. But one part of this has some interesting information, and they kind of did some, some uh, you know, what are the odds that, that these things could actually happen? What are the odds? And so they, they, they limited it, first of all, the odds of, of any one man in history fulfilling eight, only eight, of these major prophecies. And they came up with this number, one in 10 to the 17th. Now, uh, some of you are mathematics people and you kind of get an idea. That's a, that's a one with 17 zeros on it, right? That's a lot of zeros. And so they, they figured, uh, they figured they, if you take a silver dollar, right? If you take a silver dollar and you take uh, enough silver dollars to equal 1 in 10 to the 17th that you could cover the face of Texas, the whole state of Texas, two feet deep. That's about this deep, right? That's a lot of silver dollars. And Texas is a big state, right? Okay, so they figured you could cover this state of Texas two feet deep, silver dollars, the whole state, right? Now, the odds of one in all those that you would take a blindfolded man and now set him into the state of Texas and on the very first coin that he picked, you'd have one coin that was marked, the very first time he picked it, he would pick that one coin that was marked. You kind of get the, how big this is that Jesus fulfilled? This is only eight. This is only eight prophecies. Now, if we make it 16... 1 in 10 to the 28th. Now, those numbers, again, unless you're a math person, those, they don't mean anything to you, right? But it's huge. That's 28 zeros on the end, and, and this is how they describe that. If you make a ball of silver dollars, right? A ball, like just a bunch of silver dollars into a ball, right? That the diameter, right? Diameter from one side to the other of this ball, the diameter would be, get this, listen carefully, 30 times the distance from the center of the earth to the sun. Yeah. Is that big? Okay. So you've got a ball of silver dollars now that's 30 times the distance from the center of the earth to the sun. And, and how, how big is that for those of you who remember that? 93? 92 million miles, something like that. I remember 93. I remember some things, and I can't remember, like, what day it is today. So 30 times that, this, this huge ball, now you shoot somebody into space, into this ball, and, he, you know, and then he's got to pick that one that's marked, the very first one, the very first one that he picks. They said this, maybe if, maybe if we left the blindfold off? <laughs> it's really kind of ridiculous, isn't it? This is, this is that Jesus fulfilled the prophecies. See, how important is this? This is huge. 
There's no one like him. He's unique. There's no one ever like him before. No one ever like him after. Only Jesus. This is, this is why. When Jesus was born, they said good news of great joy because, because they could see this. The angels could see like, wow, this is reality here. This, look, what, look what has just happened. You and I think, oh, Jesus was born. The world's going, oh, yeah, Jesus was born, and now let's get our Christmas tree up and do our present shopping and all that stuff. Right? I don't know. We, we, we don't get the immensity of the fact of what just what he did, what he fulfilled. The good news that he promised, we read that in Romans 1. Good news for a change. But the thing about it is that God keeps his promises, and I've been saying that to you over and over uh, during this study, that, that Jesus keeps his promises, the Father keeps his promises. And, and one, of, one of the most incredible verses that I know about this is, is found in the book of Joshua, that Joshua discovered this. Now, you all know who Joshua was, right? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. You know the song. If I was a singer, I'd sing it for you. Joshua chapter 23, look what he says here. This is what Joshua says. He's, he's about to die. He's at the end of his life. And what did he discover? And Joshua was a guy, you read about him and Moses. He hung out with Moses and he would stay in the tabernacle, the tent, and just like hang out there because he loved, like we sang today, like David said, I want to stay. I want to see the beauty of the Lord. And he had a heart. But look what he says. He says, now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Not one has failed. That's important for you and me in this life. That's part of the good news, you see. That's what I'm getting at. That's why I focused on this today is because he promised it and God keeps his promises. Not one of them. Not no 9 out of 10 or 99 out of 100 or 85%. No, no, 100% always. That's the good news of great joy. And when he came, the angels were blown away. You see, God promised a Savior, and he fulfilled his promise. And he promises to save all who come to him, and he fulfills his promise, and that's good news. But you know what the thing about it is? Is that it requires a response. It requires a response. This good news isn't like automatic. Well, if you're an American, you're automatically a Christian. You're automatically going to heaven. No. He sent his good news for you and I to decide. He gives us the choice. He gives us a, a free will to make that choice. So before we finish, and I'm going to finish early here today, I can tell already, and you're going, that's good news. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> You know, he's not going to be happy about it as those kids in the back because they're going like, why are you done so early? We'll do the song an extra couple of times. It's good news. But what's your response? What's your response to the good news? Is it, yeah, 
It's good news. It's Christmas. I get presents. It's good news. It's Christmas. I'm going to get that new car I've wanted. It's about this big. (laughs) It's good news. I'm going to get all the stuff I want. How many of you have gotten to that day and you didn't even get one of the things you wanted and you are so disappointed? Any of you ever feel that way on Christmas? You wake up. You still sort of believe in Santa Claus? I heard someone say that. I sort of believe in Santa Claus. It's a little person. And and you get to that day and you go like, wow, what happened? But I really wanted. And they gave you something else, like a tie or something dumb like that. What are you going to do with a tie? You know, I love getting presents. So if you want to bring him next week, go ahead. That's fine. And I won't even tell you what I want or anything. But you know what? This is the gift here. This is the gift for you and I to make a response. Are we going to receive it and sit under the tree? Uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> I remember uh, Christmas has gone by where we would be at, at, uh, in California at uh, my wife's parents' house, and there was like all these kids and grandkids and everybody, and there was a lot of presents and stuff. And it was more like a, it was more like a, all of a sudden, ready, set, go. And then everybody just took off, tearing all the presents out, you know, open. Everything. It was just like a mad rush. Is that like that at your house? And I said, whoa, slow down. But you know, at the end of the day, there's nothing still sitting under that tree that's unwrapped, right? It's, it's, it's all been claimed. But that's like the present that we're talking about here today. You know what? Is it still sitting under the tree? It's all wrapped up. You're not, you're not going to open it? You're not going to take it? You're not going to have it? And the Father gave His Son for us, and we're going to say, well, you know, maybe later. Maybe another Christmas. What's our response? You've got to open the gift. You've got to take it home. One last thing I want to mention and, and, uh, is that, you know, there's a lot of promises in the Bible from cover to cover, a lot of promises, and some of them have already been fulfilled. But there's a lot of them that have not been fulfilled yet, right? And, and, and the promise that I really like is this, that he's going to return, he's going to come back. Jesus said to his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled, trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. That you also may be where I am. Jesus came. He fulfilled that prophecy there in Genesis 3, the first good news. But he's also promised to come back again. And he has a lot of other promises yet yet to be fulfilled. That's a whole other message. It says in Peter, Peter says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. But it says he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This time is a time for people to come to repentance, for people to come to Jesus.
much as I want him to come, like right now, right today, what about the people that we know and love? They need to know some good news for a change. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the good news that you promised way, way back. And you delivered. Lord, I pray you deliver us from our own sin through the good news of Jesus, the Savior, the good news of great joy that would be for all the earth. The Savior has come. He's Christ the Lord. Father, there's no other good news like it. Nothing ever to compare with it. Nothing of the magnitude as we've looked at mathematically. Father, I pray that that, uh, we would be people that have unwrapped that gift, that we've taken it home, we've taken it to heart, to our very hearts and lives. That Jesus, you're our Savior, that you are our Lord. And we bend the knee as we sang. We bow the knee before you, the Savior, my Savior. Father, I pray as we come to this Christmas season, we just offer back to you praise, that offering we sang about, just thankfulness that you gave us life. We also look ahead, Lord, to the day when you'll return for us. We look forward to that, Lord. You've promised it, and you will keep your promises. We know that. Not one. Not one can fail because you are completely and totally faithful and you will always keep your word. Help us in our lives, Lord. Some of us are struggling with different things, Lord. Father, uh, meet with us right where we are today, Lord, to hear your voice, to know your touch in our lives, your presence, your promises that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, that you're going to take care of it, you're going to answer our prayers, you're going to... Help us through this life. Father, give an encouragement to each one here today, Lord. Lift those burdens. We lay them at your feet, Lord. Father, thank you again for just the chance to be together here today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing, shall we?